The last chapter in Exodus, please. It is wonderful to know that the Lord is faithful. If we trust in ourselves, we shall surely fall. When we put our faith in him, we shall surely stand. That's the way life is, my friend. He is God. We are the created. He is the creator. And aren't we thankful for his goodness to us? Chapter 40 of Exodus Verse 34. The last sentence in 31 is, So Moses finished the work. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode their own and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day And fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. The Lord bless his word. You may be seated. Honor, presence, glory. It's in that order. We would like the glory, but you can't do it without honor. And you can't have it without presence. We sometimes think about the glory that should come or what we would have. But these passages I shared last night speak clearly to us of first priority. We must become people like that of Moses, who is willing to put God and his honor first, even before ourselves. And the Lord in in some way was testing Moses to see how clear he was, though he knew it, We're seen through it. Can you imagine God speaking to a man and telling him, stand aside? (laughs) Every time I think of that, it's humorous to me. God doesn't have to tell anybody to stand aside. He can move them. He doesn't need us. Sometimes we think about that, that God needs us. God doesn't really need us. He wants us. And he wants us to have him. There's no fellowship. that God doesn't need us because of fellowship. Because he has forever had fellowship as the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And that three in one have fellowship with one another that we will never know. Never know. But he has come to give us eternal life and that we may live in him. This passage here speaks of glory that came upon the tabernacle. Praise God. When Moses finished his work, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
John, please, chapter 1, verse 14. And in this John 4, 1, 14, it clearly tells us of another tabernacle. And it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word there, dwelt among us, can easily be tab uh, translated tabernacled. The word was made flesh, tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace full of truth. In 1 Corinthians, you'll find where Paul says, and ye are the temple of God. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, 15, he'll talk about the Spirit of the Lord. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And he changes us with ever-increasing glory into his image. And in that chapter 4, well, let's turn over there, please, because I'd like for you to look at it. I'll turn. That gives, some people say, tell me that I don't give people enough time to get there, so I'll turn with you. That'll give us enough time to get together. Tells us we change from image to image, from glory to glory. There's faith to faith and there's glory to glory. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 now, it tells us, And having renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience concerning the sight of God. And if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom... That is the lost, in whom the, the God of this world have blinded the eyes of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants for Christ's sake. And God, who commanded light to shine out of darkness, have shined in our hearts to give the light of the glory, or the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God's glory was seen in the first tabernacle. Matter of fact, it came down in the temple as well. When the glory came down with Moses, they all fell to the floor, prostrate or the, uh, to the ground, prostrate in the presence of the Lord. God's glory had come down. In the temple, we see where the Lord is well. After Moses, I mean, after Solomon had finished everything according to the command of his uh, father, uh, David, who got the resources to build the temple, and now Solomon finishes it under his direction, though he be dead, and now he prays a prayer. And the glory of the Lord comes upon the temple. Now there's no cloud there like the cloud was on the mountain. I mean in the wilderness. But the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And all of them stood reverence 
bowing their heads. All of them was in reverence, of course. The first ones being uh, folks like uh, maybe un uh, a little uh, unsophisticated as their children would be. They fell prostrate before the Lord. Here everyone stands silent with their heads bowed, honoring the Lord. God's glory has come. The Bible tells us that there was a time when the glory of God departed the temple. Ichabod, God's glory, hath departed. Those things in the Old Testament concerning what was there was a type of what is to come. The tabernacle that was there was the presence of God's presence among them. God would come and tabernacle among us. It would tell us of a time when he would come and the glory of God would be with him. Isn't it interesting that when the Lord had spoke to Moses and told him, you shall see my glory, that God's glory filled the temple, I mean the tabernacle. Obviously or probably Moses had felt uh, that presence of the Lord when it was up on the mountain and the word of the Lord, his name was proclaimed and, and his goodness and glory was seen in his creative powers as the Lord God and then the glory seen in his character. Now after the finishing of all the work and he has finished his work, God's glory is going to come down. It's going to be the place where God dwells among them. The tabernacle was made in a certain way. There was an outer court in which there was the altar, the brazen altar which they could come and make sacrifices for their sins. There was in the inner uh, uh, courtroom a table of showbread and an incense in which the, they burnt incense all the time. This incense would smell beautiful and, uh, uh, and uh, take away or try to lower down the stench of the blood that was on the outer court. And then there in the inner court was uh, uh, on the, uh, the next one, a little room about 15 foot uh, square. And in it was uh, just a, uh, a little ark that was built, a, a covenant for them. And seraphim stood on each side with their wings toward there. And in, inside of that Ark of the Covenant, God had placed the two uh, uh, tablets, placed also the budding rod of Aaron and loaves of bread. Here it was, the symbol of God's presence among them. Isn't it interesting that in the garden, God symbolized his presence at the eastern gate with the seraphim? And now he will uh, signify his presence by the... Uh, by the, the uh, uh, Seraphim there in the uh, um, holies of holies. The high priest could only come there once a year, and he would make atonement on the day of atonement. Now, it was all laid out with gold, but what he would do is he would sprinkle the gold. I mean, sprinkle it with the blood. The, uh, and pretty soon, that ark would be covered with blood. The first one, of course, would be Aaron, who would sprinkle the blood upon it. Sprinkle it and sprinkle it. Probably year after year, each one would come in and look at it and find out, now where can I put some blood? And then sprinkle the blood until the whole Ark of the Covenant was covered with blood. The beauty of the gold was the inside of it. It would be covered by, uh, by blood. And then, of course, it indicated that God's presence was there, but no one could come. Except the high priest, no one else could. But Hebrews tells us when that uh, Christ came and tabernacled among us and died on that cross, there was a, a historical fact that took place. That that veil that stood there was ripped from top to bottom. Yeah. It's as if somebody just went 
you know, or took their finger and pulled it down. It, it wasn't from the bottom up as if oxen or bulls or, uh, or mules had gotten and pulled it. All of a sudden, from the top to the bottom, uh, it was opened. And the Bible tells us that through the body of Jesus Christ, we now have access into the presence of the Lord. Yeah. That which could only be uh, uh, with the high priest in the old. Now the temple has come. Jesus tabernacled among us. And he has opened our way into the presence of the Lord. That we may live in that presence all the days of our life. An interesting thing in the Old Testament. When the spirit of the Lord would come upon them. He would come upon them. Then he would leave them. He would come upon them. They would leave. There was no continual abiding of the spirit of the Lord. Or the power of God upon them. He would come, the Spirit would, and he would clothe himself with them. But now we are clothed with the Spirit. He clothed himself with them, but now we are clothed with him. And what it was, it, when the Spirit came, they did mighty things. I, we do not know what it is to live without the presence of God in our life. We as Christians, when we are born, are we given the promise that the Spirit of Christ will come and dwell in us. We don't know what it is to be born again and have a God that's external to us like they did in the Old Testament. Our God has come to live in us. We have become something through the, uh, uh, the death of Jesus. We have become the tabernacle of the Lord. This is what God intended. That tabernacle would foretell of the time when God would come and dwell among us and the glory of God would be in him. And then this would speak of us as well. The time would come that we would become uh, the temple of God. I want you to understand you really do not have to have a body to live. No, you don't. Now, you can live without a body. Angels live without bodies. They're spirits without bodies like our bodies. So when you talk about life, you don't have to have a body. Why didn't God make us like the, uh, like the uh, angels and uh, uh, give us a spiritual body, as it were? Just make us spirits and, uh, instead of physical. God is spirit. And in order for God to dwell in something, he would have to make it separate from him. So he made us. And our ultimate intent was that we would become the temple of God. The whole purpose of our creation is to have fellowship with God. He came and dwelled with them in the garden. He was with them. You know, the Bible was tell, tell us about them. And, and Noah walked with, or Enoch walked with God. Abraham walked before the Lord. Uh, and, and all in that Old Testament we see them having fellowship with the Lord. But with the promise that would come. It would be written upon your hearts. That which I given to you in stone is going to be written upon your hearts. And I'm going to make a new covenant with you. And I'm going to put a spirit within you. Oh, praise the Lord. This is something different than what they did. It amazes me that without the word of God, without the continuous indwelling of the spirit of God in their life, without the promises and, and, and the things that they could look back to with the death of Jesus Christ, they still served him. Here's a man who walked with God for 360 years and was not, for God took him. He was that light in that Andalusian age in which in the dark period it was Enoch who shined bright 
and declared fellowship with the Lord. They didn't know what it was to, uh, to live again. They didn't know if you die, you just die. But all of a sudden, here's a man that didn't die, indicating to us that there is life after death. And God would come again and find a man who would believe in a resurrection. His name would be Abraham, uh, first Abram. Uh, but notice, he believed that God could create something out of out of nothing. He believed that, that God made all things out of nothing. And he also believed that God could give life to death. He did it to him and his wife. When they were far beyond bearing, they had children. First Isaac and later on uh, through uh, Isaac would be Jacob and then 12 uh, uh, sons. Well, the beauty of that is that Abraham's faith was a faith in the resurrection. Oh, Enoch walked by faith and felt the presence of the Lord. And the Bible tells us that by faith, Noah built an, uh, 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 an ark. And with, by obedience or by faith, Abraham obeyed God. And by faith, Moses saw him that was invisible. They lived their life in faith. But the Bible says that they would not be perfect without us. In other words, there will come another time. Those lived by faith. And now we're going to live by faith as well. But there's a difference in our life. God has chosen now through the death of his son to provide us as a temple for the Lord to dwell in. And we sometimes do not talk about our Christian life and what it is like in reference to temple. But that's exactly what God intended for us. He intended for us to be a living temple in this world. Matter of Jesus, the scripture tells us with him that the glory of the Lord, he was the fullness of God's glory. In Colossians chapter 2, 9 and 10, it tells us that Christ is the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And then in chapter 1 of Ephesians, it tells us that he that filleth all in all, the one that filleth all in all, now fills the church. And we have become the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Do you get it? In the Old Testament, the tabernacle was filled with the glory of the Lord. Jesus was filled and full of the glory of the Lord. And the church is to be full of the glory of the Lord. This is our destiny in the world in which we live. We're not here just to be saved from our sins. If that was the object of our Christian experience, is that we can be saved from our sins, then why does he leave us to struggle as we do? What's the, what is the, uh, the problem? Or why should we here we get saved here and then we go to be him here at the first advent we've experienced salvation at his second advent we will go and be with him we are living between the times and what are we supposed to be doing between the times some people do not live their life as they are to live they're just simply told that grace will save you and do the very best you can your name's written in heaven and you and you're going to go to heaven and the whole 
ideal is, well, when am I going to go? And we get this idea, well, it may not be tomorrow, but that's all right. He saved me. And we got this uh, concept that the Christian life is getting saved, and we just sit and wait for glory. We'll go to church. We'll do certain things. We'll struggle in this world because we, we, we live in this body, you know, and we can't be free from it. So we'll do our struggling, hoping sometime that the Lord will come and bring us out of that. That's not the kind of life that God intended for his people. He didn't want us to live a detached life from our first advent to our second advent. He's not waiting for us at the time of conversion and now we have to struggle with our own uh, obedience and faith until finally uh, we see him. He desires that we would experience the fullness of the spirit of God in our lives. He wants us to exhale the glory of the Lord. When the glory came down and Moses saw the glory on Mount Sinai, when the glory came down in the tabernacle, when the glory came down in the temple, when the glory was seen in the life of Jesus, it's got closer to us. That which was predicted at Mount Sinai, which was that God came down, it was predictive of another day when Pentecost would come and God's glory would descend upon a hundred and twenty in an upper room. Oh, praise the Lord. The time has come. Moses finished his work. And when the work was finished, glory came. Jesus said it's finished. And it's when it's finished, glory came. Somewhere we need to understand if we identify with him, if we are buried with him, if we are crucified and buried with him, if we are raised with him, we can be ascended with him and we can be empowered with him. God's glory is to be upon his people. Amen. This glory, this glory, our Christian life is not to be some struggle that we talk about. We talk about it often. Our sermons are that way, you know. And we talk often that we need a divine breakthrough. God's got a breakthrough. Why has it got to be breakthrough for? I mean, you know, we're going to have a breakthrough. We're going to have a divine visitation from God. God's supposed to be with us. We're supposed to be the ones that are coming. We all, temples of the Lord, gather together. And when we gather together, we're the temple of God. It's not that God has to break down or that God has to come through. He ought to all, all be with us. We ought to be bringing Him with us. It's not that we come and say, Oh Lord, will you fill your house? He's already filled His house with everyone that is here. Somewhere we've got our theology wrong. We think that God is way out there and somewhere he's got to break through our selfishness our indifference, our worldliness our carnality and we've got to ride that altar over and over again and again I wish that we would get rid of that first principle I wish we would die once forever I wish we wouldn't bring up again those elementary doctrines that Hebrew says I wish that we would go on into perfection I wish we would no longer be children but we'd be mature in the Lord until God's glory fills the house hallelujah Woo! I feel good. <laughs> we live far below our 
our privilege. We sometimes act like we're the fellow Phoenician lady. I'll just take crumbs, Lord. Crumbs are good, my friend. But you see, to her it was, you're outside the kingdom. I've come to Israel. And the blessings come to Israel. This Gentile lady will not be moved. And she will not be put off. Even dogs get crumbs. Now you may think that's a low opinion of her, but that was the opinion of Jews concerning Gentiles. They're dogs. This is probably the most insulting thing that Jesus has said in his whole life. I've read the book several times, each of the Gospels. I can't find anywhere else that Jesus speaks such cruel, almost racial statements. But he does it, probably in two ways. Hearing Jesus talk like that probably shocked them. Hmm. You know, the Spirit can get grieved by the way we talk. And some of us go on and talk and talk and talk. And never think about the grief that we give to the Lord. Her faith needed to be made strong. So Jesus made her to realize where she was. He is the God of the Gentiles. There's no doubt about that. Because there was a centurion who came to him. And said, my servant is sick unto death. I'll come. You're going to go to a Gentile's house? The Pharisees are probably looking around at him. Oh, we got something here if he goes. And the centurion, knowing protocol, says you don't need to do that. If you just speak the word, my servant will be healed. Because I'm a man under authority. I tell that soldier go. I tell that soldier come. They come. They go. They do what I say. You say, it's gone. No greater faith have I seen in all of Israel, he says. But notice, Jesus knew he was the God of the Gentiles. And the God of the Jews, because he is also the God of the Gentiles, is going to go to a Gentile house. But he stopped. This lady needs to understand the faith and the power of the Lord And Jesus will make it clear. By using her as an illustration, he teaches us and teaches everyone that he is able to reach to those who are far down and out. We may not want the leprous, but he will embrace him. We may not want the crippled, but he does. We don't want the poor and the illiterate, but he does. Something about Jesus. And he's full of glory. Embracing a leper will not diminish his glory. Sitting at a well with a woman that's had five husbands and the one she's living with is not her husband does not tarnish his glory. Amen. 
For a woman to weep at his feet, and Simon suggests if you were a prophet, you didn't know this, will not diminish his glory. He'll go into the house of the, uh, the Republican, I mean the publican, Zacchaeus. It's amazing at what Jesus does. He spends time with people, but in that, his glory is not diminished at all. It seems to make it better. It appears. Now, I will tell you honestly, if I touch that which is ill, then I can get ill. We know that. That which is contaminated, that which is contagious, you stay away from. But Jesus, but Jesus does not get contaminated with our sins. Amen. You need not worry. You need not worry. You say, I don't know, and I'm not worthy. It doesn't bother him at all. Come as we are, he changes us. The problem is, is we want to come as we are and stay as we are. That he will not permit. He will bring us or he will allow us to come to him. He will draw us to him. No matter how vile, how selfish, how indifferent we may be. And he'll change us by the glory of the Lord. There was something about Jesus. He drew people to him. It was as if he would reach out his hands and draw them to them. Jesus, full of the glory of God. 2,000 years after the call of Abraham, he will come. And after him will come the church. Moses finished his work, Jesus finished his work, and now we're among that of the third tabernacle. First tabernacle with the temple in the Old Testament. Second tabernacle among us is Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us it's necessary that I go away. If I go not away, the comforter will not come. But if he'll come, uh, if I depart, I'll send him unto you. When he's come, he will, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness. When he comes, the beauty of it. How do we know that he got there? Because the Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. Amen. And now something brand new will take place. There is now a, an entity, there is now an organism on the face of the earth that has never been here before. We talk about human beings and that we gather together. In the human life, God divided us first male and female. I wish we'd get. I wish that people would get enough sense to understand that they don't even know the difference between male and female, male and female. And then after that, he will he will he will, he will separate the people uh, by language, and then he will sep separate the people by calling Abraham. The uh, the uh, the world is separated by Jews and Gentiles. And then when Christ comes, the Bible tells us that through him he brings both Jew and Gentile. To God, the human race is divided now up into three parts. There's three groups. There are Jews, there are Gentiles, and there is the church. And the church is composed of Jews and of Gentiles. And they have become one man, new man, one body 
in Christ Jesus. It is not an organization. The church is not an organization. We sometimes run it as a business, but the church is God's living organism on this earth. We are the living temple of God. The beauty of that. The church is seen as the body of Christ. The church is seen as a, 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 a as a brethren, as a family, but also as a temple, and we're the temple. I mentioned that. We are the temple of the Lord, and together we are the temple of the Lord. He uses one metaphor. We are not no one. I can't say I'm the church. There are people running around saying that, you know. Oh, you know, you're the church. I'm not a church. We're members of a church, but I am a temple. <laughs> I am a temple and you are a temple. We need to make sure that we need to bless it on our mind that God has made us a dwelling place. Why did he make us a body? So that we could become the dwelling place of God. There is no other reason why God gave us a body other than the fact that he wanted to indwell us. He wanted his glory that's seen in his creation. He wanted his character that is seen in who he is. He wanted that character to be displayed in flesh and blood. When the, uh, the Old Testament saints fell short of it, Jesus comes. And now Jesus, full of grace and full of truth, lives without sin. He becomes the ideal man. There is one among us. One has come among us who has lived the perfect life in fellowship with God and the glory of the Lord upon him. And he gave his life that you and I also may have the glory of God in our lives. Amen. Now what does that glory consist of? Number one, it consists of proclamation. And God proclaimed his name. Did you know what? The early church went everywhere proclaiming the name of Jesus. Yeah. There is no other name given under earth, under, under heaven, where man can be saved except through the name of Jesus. Oh, Jesus. You call on him in time of salvation and sins are washed away. Healing comes in the name of Jesus. Powers of darkness must be re uh, uh, released their hold in the name of Jesus. Demons flee. Sicknesses are healed. Crippled have walked. Blinded eyes have seen. In the name of Jesus, we can pray that name and it can bring us deliverance. We can cry out, Jesus! And all of a sudden, that blessed call out brings the presence of God to us. We can speak it and, and worship Jesus. Jesus. Oh, what precious name. It's wonderful. It makes no difference how you may say it. There's something in the name of Jesus. And the proclamation of the name of Jesus brings the glory of God close to us. Jesus. Jesus. God's glory is also seen in his creative power and also in his character. Creative power is seen in the church by miracles that are done in answers to prayer. This is one thing that God desires for us more than any uh, in, in our Christian life is that to hear our pleas and answer them. The reason why not much is not done for God is because we don't pray. We don't ask. It was John Wesley who said, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. I think that we need to uh, uh, understand how Jesus lived his life. If you will study it quickly, 
Look through it, you'll find that he would pray. Spend sometimes all night long in prayer at certain crises in his life. But in this we see Jesus, who constantly kept fellowship with the Lord. There are two things about Christ in his life that you see that he desired. Number one, he desired fellowship with the Father. He said, I, my Father, are one. He talked about his, uh, his relationship with the Father. And he also talked about pleasing the Father. He said, I always do those things that please him. And the Father told him, I am well pleased with you. Those two things you can see in the life of Jesus in reference to his Father. He lived in fellowship with him. I mean, he was so, uh, he was so comfortable in this world uh, with the presence of the Lord that he could talk about him. See the lilies of the field, how that God has taken care of them. See the sparrows and how God does it. He talks about God as if he was there. It was not something he had to bring up. He had, he had conversation with God uh, easily. Sometimes it's hard for us to bring up a conversation about Christ or Jesus. We sometimes got to get in common ground with folk and hope that we can turn the conversation uh, to Christ to share with it. But it was just a natural thing with Jesus. Wherever you were with him, the subject of God came up. He talked about him. He lived and breathed him. I have fellowship with my Father. And then, of course, it was that obedience. And my will is to do the will of my Father. My words are not mine, they're my Father's. My will is not my will, it's the will of my Father. We see that in the life of Jesus. And the Bible tells us about the life of Christ. It's seen in two things, that Christ had the Lord ever before him and in his right hand. You remember the statement that Jesus said, unto, uh, unto you commend my spirit, and he gave up the ghost and died on the cross. He commended himself into faith. In other words, the God that's forsaken him. Uh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The very God that has forsaken him is the very one that he will put his trust in. I wonder how often we are willing to do that. When God seems so far from us, when it seems that God doesn't answer our prayers, are we still willing to trust him? Or are we going to complain and grumble and say, I don't know what God is doing? Jesus, when his father had turned his back on him and declared that it's finished, he puts the ultimate of faith unto your hands commend my spirit and he gave up the ghost somewhere we need to understand that Jesus kept him ever before him and in his right hand and if we want the faith of Christ we've got to keep the Lord ever before us and in our right hand if it's ever before us the glory of the Lord will shine when Moses saw the Lord face to face do you know what the glory shined from him when he was close to his side able to do the work of the Lord that's Jesus my friend he keeps the Lord ever before him he keeps him at his right hand there's joy in the presence of the Lord let God be ever before us and let him be ever beside us that we may live in the glory of the presence of the Lord amen, amen. there was something about Jesus in this glory in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in whom the God of this world had blinded their eyes, we preach not ourselves but Christ Jesus. But God commanded the light to shine out of darkness. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and without form, and darkness covered the deep. And God said, "Let there be light." God said, "God said, God said." About twenty-six times in that chapter, deals more with the Creator than it does with the creation. God said, "God said," and it happened. Here, Paul takes us all the way back to that first day. And God, notice, commanded the light to shine out of darkness. He who commanded the light to shine out of darkness have shined in our hearts. He didn't command light to shine in our hearts. He have shined in our hearts. Jesus said. Ye are the light. Of the world. Ye are the salt. Of the earth. And in that light. He makes mention. He says. Let your light so shine. That they may see your good works. And what? Glorify. Mm. Here light has shined. That light comes from the glorious gospel that has been preached and he makes mention of. Manifested to every man's conscience through truth. And our gospel is but that glorious gospel. Praise the Lord. Now have shined in us. And notice what it says. To give the light. The light that God sets in our hearts to shine from us has but one purpose. To the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. We are to be light in this world for one purpose. So the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus may shine through us. Amen. We have but one purpose. It is that receiving the light from God, that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Here's Jesus. There's the face of Jesus. Get the order. We'll go backwards. There's Jesus. It is Shine unto you in the light and the face of Jesus. Jesus Christ, it's the face of Jesus. The face of Jesus, the glory of the Lord radiated from his countenance. But it was not just glory. It was knowledge of the glory. But it simply wasn't the knowledge of the glory. It was the light of the knowledge of of the glory that was in the face of Jesus. Amen. Now you put that to us, that the light is shined in our hearts. What is it telling us? It is telling us that if Christ dwells in us, how many of you believe that Jesus Christ dwells in you? Are you Christian? Amen. Do you believe that he dwells in you? If he dwells in us, this is our life. This is what we should be. 
We should reflect Jesus. The face and the countenance of Christ. The early church said, as he is, so are we in this present world. When people see you, do they see Jesus? It's not enough for me to say, I've committed myself to Jesus and he lives in. If the light's in our heart, that light is going to shine and it's going to shine. It's going to give the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. He's no longer with us, but we are with him. And the Bible tells us that the fullness that dwelled in him dwells in the church. And the church is the fullness of him that dwelleth in all things. The church is the fullness. We are supposed to be the fullness of Christ. If that be the case, then our face and our countenance, our responses and our works should reveal Jesus Christ. Notice, the light shall reveal the good works that God is with you. Light reveals the good works. Jesus came to do good things. He was anointed of the Holy Ghost and went about doing good. Where was the glory of God seen? The glory was seen in the face of Jesus and it was seen also in the works of Christ. And that's the thing with us as well. We need to live simple lives. We need to live holy lives. We need to be able to live in such a way that when people see us, there is a countenance that is quite different. Amen. One of the things concerning tattoos and all is the fact that it, it obscures the, our flesh and makes us look different than what God in, in, intended for our creation. And uh, it's through that you have to try to find the man or the woman. We, we, we're, we're becoming, we, we, we've lost the sense of bearing the image of God. We don't like who we are, so we try to make ourselves something that we are not. Somewhere we need to look in the mirror and accept to us because there is no one in the world like you. There is no one else in the world going to be like you. There's only one you. And if that from your countenance, Jesus Christ can be seen, glory, you're going to reflect the glory of the Lord and men will come to know the glory of God and that light shall shine and reveal the good works that we do by God Almighty. We need the glory of God in our lives. Oftentimes we think of glory as a feeling that comes down in the presence of the Lord. That is true. But that is not all of it. If you remember what it said in Exodus chapter 35. Where it said and God revealed his glory. And he was merciful and gracious. And uh, full of, uh, of uh, grace or goodness and truth. Christ. Uh, grace and truth. The fullness of him. Those last two words in Exodus uh, John will use to describe Jesus. He is full of grace. He is full of truth. Unless you think that I'm overboard with this in verse 6, look at verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God is in earthen vessels.
this body. He fashioned it. The first Adam was made after the second Adam, though the second Adam had not yet come. God knew that he would become a man. So he fashioned the body that he would like. The body that God fashioned for Adam and that we have is the body that God intended for his son to have. That is a sacred thing. When you talk about the greatest possessions that we have, our greatest possession is ourselves. Everything else is going to go. The car, the house, the money, the clothes, they'll all go. The only thing that's going to remain is you. Oh, you say, well, I'm going to lose my body. You're going to get a glorified body because God never intended for any of us to be forever a disembodied spirit. I'll lay off this body, but at the resurrection, I'm going to receive a new body. Yes. <laughs> Amen. Pain and sorrow and stress now, but glory is coming. But now, the tabernacle filled with glory, the glory filled in the life of Jesus, and now glory filled in us. And that glory is to be demonstrated in earthen vessels. We have this treasure that is the glory of God in earthen vessels. Why? That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Right. A, uh, the excellency of the power may be of God and not us. Why do we have the glory of God in our life? It is that the power of God may be seen in us. That God's work, his life, what we do, we do not by ourselves. We do it by the strength and the energy of the Lord. You find one man struggling all of life and he's without God. Here's another man or another woman with the Lord having the same struggles, but they've got a joy that's in them and they have an energy that is in them and they've got strength that comes not from what man gives, but from the Spirit of God. That's the way the life intends because when God's glory is in this vessel, it is so that the excellency of the power of God might be seen in us. That power that saved us is a power that gives us life in Christ. He didn't call us just to be saved. He called us to salvation and life in Christ. He had given us an abundant life in the Lord that we may know Him and live in Him and have our very being in Him in earthen vessels. Turn back to Exodus, please. If you want to, you can hold your spot right there. But I want you to look at the similarity here. Exodus 34. God's glory has come down. I beseech you, show me your glory, was the prayer. And in chapter 3, the Lord comes down. And he tells of the glory that he sees. And then God speaks to them. And he said, "If I, Moses does rather, If I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, that's verse 9. Let my God, I pray thee, go among us. For it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin. And take us for thy inheritance. Notice his prayer. Yes, we are a stiff-necked people. But Lord, if you are full of mercy and you are forgiving iniquity. 
And he sees the glory of God in his character. He says, Lord, pardon our iniquity and our sin. And will you take us as your inheritance? He's on the mountain. They're down there. They've been excommunicated from the presence of the Lord. And here their leader is saying, Lord, let us be your inheritance and dwell among us. And notice. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant. This is God. And God said, Behold, I make a covenant. Before all my people, I will do marvels, such as not been known in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among which you shall see the work of the Lord. For it's a terrible thing that I will do with thee. Observe thou there that which I command thee this day. And then talks to them about obedience. Notice what has happened. The glory of the Lord has been revealed to Moses. And Moses who said, Lord, if you can't forgive, then blot my name out. He knows that he can forgive. And now he intercedes and asks for pardon. And that we may be your inheritance. And what does God say? He says, I'll make a covenant with you. And I'll do marvels and wonders in here. Notice, the glory of the Lord descended upon Mount Sinai. And Moses saw it. The glory of the Lord would come to the tabernacle as well. And when the verse here, it tells us that this glory shall be in, in earthen vessels. 2 Corinthians 4 and 6. And we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Why? That the excellency of the power of God and not of us. I will let my glory be known among you. I will pardon you. And men, men will see my glory demonstrated unto you. But more than that, I will do marvels and wonders among you. Because you will be my people. You will be my inheritance. I make a covenant with you. Jesus, on that uh, night when he was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. And he said, this is the new covenant. By the blood of Jesus Christ, a new covenant was instituted. And the glory of God came down on the day of Pentecost. We are a new people. We are the people of the New Testament or the new covenant in which the glory of God is to be radiating from our countenance. The spirit of God changing us from glory unto glory. Not from weakness to weakness. Not from backsliding to backsliding. Not from coldness to coldness. Not up and down. Not in and out. But from glory to glory. That in our earthen vessels, in our daily lives, in our homes, on our jobs, in our school, wherever we are, the glory of God that was in the face of Jesus will be radiating from us as well. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I think that we have filled ourselves with spiritual junk food and that we don't want to taste that the Lord is good. One last verse, please, in First Peter. Lord, help us.
Chapter 2, verse 2 is newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby if so be that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. I don't know about you But the first taste of the glory of God in my life was the grace that came to me when I bowed my knee and confessed my sins and gave my life to Jesus. I have tasted that the Lord is gracious. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, tasted that the Lord is gracious. I go back to Ezekiel, I mean Exodus 34, where the Lord makes mention he's gracious and merciful. And the first exercising of God's glorious character to them was the pardon of their sins. He doesn't stop there. But here Peter says that lay aside therefore malice and guile, hypocrisies, envyings, and all evil speakings. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 that our conversation should be with gracious words. If it's not with gracious words, we grieve the Spirit, and it's the Spirit that changes us unto glory. Too often the conversation of many carnal Christians, they're full of ill will, they're full of guile, hypocrisies, envyings, and they speak evil of everyone around them. I don't want to be like that. I want to taste that the Lord is gracious. Living in the last days, flip over please to chapter four. Chapter 4, verse 11, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ and be praise and dominion forever and ever. Talks about how we are to live in these last days, beginning in verse 7 through 11, and tells us that God may be glorified in Christ. Talks about persecution coming and so forth. But notice what he says. If you be reproached for the name of Christ... Verse 14, happy are ye. And the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. 
Spirit of glory. Spirit of glory. That's what we need. We need the spirit of glory to rest on us. So that Christ may be glorified in everything. The light that shines through us and Christ revealed in our countenance and in our behavior. Jesus, pray that you'll take the feeble words I've shared tonight. Open our eyes. Do what mere words cannot do. Your glory filled the first tabernacle and temple. Your glory filled the tabernacle of Jesus. Now we, being the temple of the Lord, you want us to be filled with your glory. Glory. Glory seen in good works that's done by you. Glory that is seen in reflecting the character that's you. Your light shining through us reveals good works. It's in earthen vessels. And so it may be by power. You forgave them. And you wrought great works and miracles among them. Delivering them and sustaining them. And now the church has come. The Spirit fills us. Oh, Lord, let glory be upon us. Let the church be the church, the fullness of Jesus. I want to be filled with his fullness. And when my body is tired and weary, I want the spirit to come and quicken this mortal body with the same power that raised him from the dead. The world sustains themselves by various means. We're to be sustained by the countenance of the Lord. We can sing, and we can sing without the Lord. We can pray, and we can pray without the Lord. We can witness, and witness without the Lord. There's a lot of things we can do without the Lord. God gives us abilities and we think that with those abilities, we can go ahead and do it. But Jesus, who could turn stones into bread, would not do it by his own power. He would do it by the Spirit of the Lord on his life. If Jesus living among us, having ability to do certain things on his own, would not do it on his own, but he would do it by the Father. The works I do are my father's. I think that we need the glory of the Lord in our lives. Glory. That they will see the graciousness of our words or hear the graciousness of our words. 
See the mercy expressed in our hearts. See the patience that we have with one another. The beauty of Christ living among us. Jesus Oh, Jesus. Precious Jesus. Be near us now. Your glory filled the first. Your glory, Father, filled the word that was made flesh. And we beheld his glory is the only begotten from the Father. Let the world see the glory of God in us, the newborn. Let the spirit of glory rest upon us. Let our lives be seen. If glory was in the face of Jesus, let glory be in our face as well. If knowledge of the glory of God was in Jesus, let it be in us. And let that light of the knowledge, the glory of God in the face of Jesus, be in these earthen tabernacles or vessels. Could we stand, please?